Welcome to Decaf, a production of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. I'm Taylor, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-worker, Mark Cunningham. Mark, how's it going today? It's good. It's very hot outside. I had to sit outside for about an hour while the cleaners were cleaning, and I was sweating profusely, but I'm back now, and you can't see the sweat because I have my hat on. I love that. I was at dinner last night inside a restaurant, and I was sweating, and when I got out to my car at 1030 at night after dinner, it was 98 degrees It uh, per my car temperature gauge. It was insane. We had a heat warning last night. It was like, it's supposed to feel like 107 during the night. This is my opinion to restaurants. I don't want to go somewhere unless you have good AC. If I walk in and you only have mediocre AC, I'm walking out. I don't care how good the food is. When I am warm, I don't want to deal with that. We were at a seafood restaurant and there was a raw bar and they had ice out with the oysters. And I literally was just looking at that ice thinking how good it must feel in those ice buckets with those oysters. I could not believe how hot it was in that restaurant. Glad you got the very famous Nashville seafood. That's what we're what we're known for. <laughs> Shut up. I'm not a hot chicken person. Imagine eating hot chicken in 107 degree heat. Imagine that. I can't imagine eating seafood in Nashville ever. I've pretty much cut that out completely. <laughs> okay. Well, to each his or her own, but I am a huge fan of it. Speaking of Nashville, last year, our pork of the year in the pork report was an egregiously expensive contract that Metro Nashville Public Schools made with Meharry Medical Ventures to handle COVID type things. Well, hypothetically, they're supposed to handle COVID type things. They just did a bunch of dumb stuff and spent like millions of dollars on some website that barely works. You're not wrong. As we've dug in more into that, we've noticed a lot of the federal funding that came in for businesses, schools during COVID and post-COVID may not have been spent on COVID-related items as was in the agreement for these for these things. And we're actually going to release a report on that about the ESSER funds. ESSER funds were federal funds that were sent to school districts and schools to help make up for COVID losses. And they weren't always used that way, were they, Mark? It's kind of egregious. They were not. And even all of the credible estimates say that, like, you know, between 100 and $400 billion were wasted. And even the government's acknowledging that. And it's a real problem. And that's what happens when you send so much money out without any real real strings attached to them because it's almost impossible for the government to keep track of all these things. And then you have to wonder, A, was it necessary in the first place? B, it definitely wasn't, especially if you didn't shut down businesses to begin with. And you're going to always have fraud. And that's the problem with this. And I think as the years go by, we're going to see more and more fraud at a time when you know we have inflation at a record high. Guess what? You know, four hundred billion dollars, or or whatever it was, would would be a huge. You know, it would make our inflation less bad because we had to print a lot of the money needed to go to these programs. You know, I was spending time with a friend the other day, and he was talking about going to the Denver Mint when he was young. He grew up in Colorado, and they would go and see the money get printed. And he said that when he was a child, he would say, "Why is everything so bad? Why can't they just print more money?" And now, as an adult, he's like. This is why we don't print money because we're all suffering. And, you know, another point that I would make is that Jason made, our coworker Jason, made a great point in his blog. There is no one worse at tracking their own resources than the government. Okay. If I was as bad at tracking beacon resources or expenses that I spent on our digital campaigns as the government is at tracking our money, I would be fired. The government has lost, literally lost, not sent to people, not spent on things, quite literally lost in accounting. So many millions of dollars 
that they straight up don't know where it is. It is actually something that makes my blood pressure go up. Like my doctor might listen to this podcast and say, Taylor, you're not allowed to talk about this anymore because your blood pressure is skyrocketing. So I don't know if you've heard of modern monetary theory, but it's basically this ridiculous, crazy, very far left thing where like it doesn't matter how much money you print and like there's no such thing as inflation basically and you just keep printing money. It's funny that this, which is kind of a mainstream thing on the, on the far left, is the same opinion that an eight-year-old has about, oh, why don't we just print more money? So I feel like that's a great comparison for people who believe in modern monetary theory is you have the same you know, understanding as an eight-year-old of, of kind of what printing money does. You know, last week we were talking about t-shirt designs. I'm the lagging indicator. We should have one that says liberal monetary policy equals eight-year-old logic. <laughs> It is crazy. A lot of the liberal, you know, far left liberal theory is things that's like, oh, that sounds good to a six, seven, eight year old, because in theory, it's great. But then when you realize that it can't actually be done or the negative effects it's going to have, it's adults say, no, that's a bad idea. So it is funny that a lot of their ideas kind of appeal to this five, six, seven year old. And I want to say something real quick. President Trump deserves blame for this program. This is a big issue. So like, I feel like, you know, we're just hammer liberals. President Trump's the one who gave most of this money out of the beginning. Everyone knew when he did that, there was going to be almost no oversight because it's impossible to see this much oversight. So these, you know, trillions, billions of dollars that are wasted, a lot of that goes on President Trump. And we said a lot of good things that he's done. But this is one thing that was really problematic for him. And I think when you look back at his legacy, he did a lot of great things. This is going to be one of the things that I'm going to look at is going to be a problem for him. Yeah. Notice when I started, I didn't say the Biden administration's not good at tracking money. I said the government in general. This has been a problem for as long as we have lived, and it will be a problem as long as we live. The government in general, doesn't matter who's in charge, who's the boss, is always going to be bad at keeping up with money and honoring the taxpayer money. It, it just It's just the way that it is. And I think it's an insult to political theory because political theory is one of my favorite topics in college to say that a lot of these policies are political theory. It's just really a talking point of what sounds good. There's really not a lot of theory behind it. And I'll die on that hill. Yeah. I mean, I just think that this is a problem that both parties have had. And I think that in some ways, I kind of blame Trump more than I blame Biden for this, because Biden's never really said, I, I want to care about our deficit and our money. And, and and that was what Trump ran on. So it's like, I almost hold him to a higher standard because for whatever you want to say, the liberals don't pretend that they care about the deficit. They don't pretend that they care about spending. Whenever Republicans run for office, they run on that hill. And then it seems like when they're elected, they don't follow through on that. So I actually hold them to kind of more blame on those. I agree. And this is a national policy problem, but how it affects us here in Tennessee is, and and you will see when you see our research report that will be coming out soon about this, so many school districts in Tennessee took this money and did things with it that did not pertain to COVID. You could call them passion projects, things that they just wanted to do for a long time. And now all of a sudden they've got a bounty of tax dollars to spend on it. And it's really dishonoring to Tennesseans who pay income taxes on the federal level and don't pay them on the state level. And their money comes back to the state to help their children with potential learning loss, with different types of COVID safety. And they're spending it on like, I don't know, a new cafeteria maybe. So I I definitely think that people are going to be unpleasantly surprised by the findings of our report. And I will leave the teaser at that. But stay tuned for that. Speaking of people and paying income taxes, (laughs) a new study, a new survey came out recently about employment in the United States. And the survey said that 40% of Americans are considering quitting their jobs, citing finding better wages elsewhere, finding more flexibility in the workplace elsewhere, wanting to start new businesses. 60% of those people are in finance and retail. 54% of people are in healthcare and education. People are looking for new options post-COVID and it's not going to go back to the way it was. Mark, what do you think about that? 
I mean, in some ways, it's great, right? In some ways, it's like, okay, you're, you're seeing the market and you're seeing where you have the most value. So I think that's a great idea to say, you know what? I want to make more money if I'm going to do this because I can make more money doing that. That's kind of what capitalism is, you know, to a T is you should be able to do that. The issue is partially that this was kind of a government created problem, right? I mean, they, they put a lot of money into the pandemic relief. They were sending people checks. I think California is sending another round of checks for that. You know, they allowed unemployment insurance stuff. They, they allowed that to go a lot longer than it probably should have without even looking for a job. So I think that that's a problem. It is interesting because a lot of the companies are raising their rates to 15 an hour, 20 an hour. I mean, I saw, you know, fast food, 14, 15 an hour. So it's going to, of course, change the value of things, right? If we're paying people $15 an hour, that burger is going to go up to $6 or $7 instead of three. So it's good and bad. I think it's good if it's the market deciding. I think there's a lot of non-market forces that made this happen. But at this point, you know, we have the market. So people should get paid the most they possibly can. So I understand. I think that's great. And before I go on, I want to give a shout out to my sister who actually just left her job. And as of, I actually have a sneak peek on this because as of tomorrow, she is starting Child in Mind Consulting, which is a new a new thing where she's going to be working with new parents to kind of help them deal with issues that their children are having, kind of be a, a person there for them to kind of help them parent, especially new parents who haven't done it before because uh, she has her degree in that. And she's, you know, she's, been a nanny for years. So I'm very excited for her. Childandmindconsulting.com if you want to check it out, if you have any issues with new children. I'm so proud of her. She has really taken the pandemic in stride. She, you know, she's looking at the market and saying, I got something to offer and I've got a, there's a, there's a opening in the market where I can come in and, and create change. I'm so proud of her. That's huge. And took a huge risk, right? Because when you have a job where you're like, I'm guaranteed this much money, I can live on this. It's like to say, I'm going to start my own business. I'm not guaranteed anything. It's just a real risk in a good way. It's like, that's what we want. We want people to take risks. And of course, in a responsible way. But I mean, her fiance has been very supportive. She's been great. I'm really excited for it. She's doing all these things that I didn't know she could do. She's like, she's going to meet meeting with people, setting up meetings and just talk about her business. And like, she's obviously her kind of her, her best personality trait is her personality. So the fact that she's using that to try to, you know, make her business great is I'm very excited for her. So shout out to Colleen Cunningham. Great job. Child of Mind Consulting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's so great. This is more of a sociological question than a policy question, but I want your thoughts on it, Mark. Do you think that people looked at the pandemic and had kind of a life is short moment? and didn't want to stay in jobs that they didn't like and said life is too short to be in this situation. We were just faced with a worldwide pandemic where millions of people died and life is too short to do this. You know, we say that there are policy reasons for different things, wages, cost of living going up, whatever. But I think there's also a sociological aspect to it that people have realized that life is short and they want to pursue it makes them happy, which is honestly really, really freaking cool. And I agree with that. And the one thing that I didn't see in the article, but we have to realize that the remote thing is a big deal, right? Like some of these people went remote because they had to for a year, year and a half. And they're like, I don't want to go back to an office job. And that's something where, you know, companies need to be able to do that. And if you want people to go in the office, you have to pay way more than people, than companies who allow you to work remotely, even two, three days a week. It's a big deal. And I I see somebody like Elon Musk, you know, I like in a lot of ways. And he's saying, well, it's going to be in person for, you know, and you have to work 40 hours a week in person. That's fine. But you're either going to get less good quality employees when you do that, or you're to pay them a hell of a lot more to do the same thing because they have other choices. So in that way, it's like you see which businesses are able to adapt and which ones are kind of using the blockbuster model of not adapting to new technology coming out. The blockbuster model. I like that. We should trademark that too. Uh, Yeah, that would be a deal breaker for me. I like a lot of what Elon Musk does and I think it would be really fun to work for him. But I really like wearing my exercise clothes around the house during the day and eating food that I can just pull out of my fridge and cook in the the moment rather than having to take lunches to work. That's that's probably my two major thing. Let's move on to a sports 
related topic. It also is policy related. You know, we always talk about sports on this podcast. I really wanted to talk about the All-Star game, but the National League lost. And so I will move on. But there's been some spicy action happening with one female athlete going to Russia and making a crucial mistake. Mark, give us some background on this before we dive in with our opinions. So Brittany Griner, if you don't know her, she was just an uh, incredible basketball player. I think she was player of the year at Baylor. She's number one overall pick in the NBA draft. She's one of the best, I, I, I don't know, maybe 10 players in the WNBA. I don't watch it that often, but I know she's very good. And she was playing overseas in Russia because basically the, you know, they, they said the WNBA players don't make enough so they have to play in, in a different place in the offseason. And apparently she had, you know, pounds of marijuana like, or some huge amount of marijuana where it wasn't just personal. And the Russian, you know, I guess at the airport, they found her and she's now facing 10 years in jail there because that's against Russian law. I mean, it's against U.S. law, too, but it's it's way more. I mean, you're going to get way more um, of an issue against uh, Russian law on that. It's Russia. <laughs> They're not light about anything. No, exactly. I mean, and so there's this big kind of discussion in America. Everyone's like, you know, we should bring her back. You know, marijuana is decriminalized here and stuff like that, which, you know, I, I agree with. You know, I, I do think we should bring her back. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like anybody's asking her to take personal responsibility. I would not bring weed with me to Russia. Even if I did smoke weed all the time or something, I would never bring that kind of thing to Russia. There's some personal responsibility in saying it's their country and it's their laws. It doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. You have to follow them if you're going there. So it's it's kind of blown my mind seeing and somebody like LeBron said, I wouldn't even come back to the US. It's interesting that Biden's getting a lot of blame for this from both Brittany Griner and her, her wife and then LeBron James. And I mean, a lot of people are hammering Biden for this, but I, I mean, it's a bad rule they have, but also you need to be smarter than that. Oh, it's absolutely egregious that people would blame anyone but her for this. Okay. I would be horrified. I do feel bad for her on like the moral, like my anxiety spikes when I think about if that was me. But at the same time, I would never do something that dumb. That's just, you're just not thinking. You needed so much weed so badly that you're going to take it into the into Russia, the one of the strictest countries in the entire world. That was that was poor decision making. And as adults, we have to take responsibility for our decisions. And she made a bad decision. And so I uh, I, I do think that we are kind of separate from the mainstream on this because most people are saying, oh, they're too tough on her. Oh, they're too this. Oh, they're too that. Maybe they are. However, once you break a law, is not the time for the law to change. She broke the law. Now, if Russia needs to change their laws, that's a that's a discussion that can be had separate from this. They need to change a lot of things, though. Let's not act like they're this reasonable country except for this one law. I mean, that's a, it's a crazy country, which is the reason why like you should know what you're doing when you go in there. That's exactly what I was about to say. You know what you're doing when you go to Russia. There's risks with traveling there in general, if you ask me, especially when you take in a very illicit substance and not just a little bit of it, a whole suitcase full of it. I mean, come on, sister, you got to you got to figure that out or we really can't help you here. And I would say two things like it is scary to think about the idea of somebody being locked in a Russian prison for 10 years. And, and of course, to us, it's like, I mean, and that, so that's a scary thing for us. You know, I do think Biden should be trying to do something. I don't know that, you know, should be trading prison because it is still a an injustice. But there's this there's the idea. It's like you can completely and totally disagree with the law and think it's insane, but still realize that when you're in this place, which is a place that she 
chose to go. I mean, she chose to go to Russia to play there. And everyone's like, oh, well, WNBA players don't make enough money. I mean, they make $240,000 a year. I don't think that's a lot of money. I know it's not as much as NBA players, but she doesn't need to go play in Russia. That is plenty of money to live on. They blame that for it, but it's just a hard, and, and I will say this, it's all a legend. I don't know anything for a fact. And it's not like I'm going to start trusting the Russian government to speak, you know, be telling the truth about everything. It does seem like from what's come out, she did have that weed. I think she pled guilty, but that was also something that was told for her to do so that she could be, I guess, traded in a prisoner thing. So I also want to say like, it's all alleged. So let's not say that this is a fact. We, this is what the Russian government, but if it is all true, I blame her, you know, 90%. And I, Russia does a lot of bad things. I would never play over there, like you said. And if you are, I would be, there's personal responsibility in saying, I'm an adult. I'm a 31 year old woman. I can kind of look up the rules and know that the country I'm going to isn't great and kind of say, let me make sure that I'm really staying within the law because the worst thing possible would be being in a Russian prison. Oh, yeah. I mean, if she was my daughter, better believe I would be on a plane to go and try to snatch her out of there. I feel so bad for her on a humanity type of level. But when we're talking about getting the government involved and getting government resources involved, there is laws of state sovereignty that that different countries have. And it's a sticky situation and I feel really bad for her and I hope she stays safe, but I do hope she takes some responsibility. That's all I'll say about that. You know what the worst part of of traveling to foreign countries is? I, and this is this is definitely like a Taylor problem, I think. But the worst part for me of traveling to foreign countries is the change in coffee. I know that there's jet lag, there's food problems, but when I go somewhere and they don't have the types of coffee that I like, I don't know if you struggle. Did you struggle with that in Italy? No, it's the opposite. It, the, the coffees they had are way better than the ones I like. So I'm like, this is awesome. Oh yeah, like it, but Italy's known for coffee. It's not like we're going to Russia. I don't think I'd want Russian coffee or, or maybe Chinese coffee or so. I don't know. Yeah, bless her heart. Maybe we can send Brittany some uh, some espresso beans to Russia <laughs> to help her get through that part of it. But Mark and I actually do tend to agree on coffee. This is something that is shocking that we agree on. And Mark, for, for what it's worth, has ripped me to shreds every day that I've known him for years about liking hippie things. He always liked blueberry flavored coffees. And so when I would go and get my little oat milk lattes, he ripped me to shreds. And guess who likes oat milk lattes now? That's not really an accurate description of it. I never have once ripped oat milk latte. I do rip you for being a hippie. That's just one of those things that I never thought I would like. I don't think I ripped you for that. I think I ripped you for the way you dress and the way you talk and the stuff that you do that's hippie-ish. You do dress like a hippie. I hate it here. Anyway, anyway, but Mark, it, it kind of is surprising. I do kind of dress like a hippie, but there aren't many hippie things about me. I'm more Southern, but there are a few hippie things that I embrace. And it is, it's kind of, it, it kind of makes me do a gut check. Like for example, you know, the essential oil community, they think that medicine is bad and oils are good. I don't believe that. I am the daughter of a PA and a drug rep, okay? I fully believe in the power of pharmaceuticals. However, I do be diffusing essential oils in my house like a hippie. And it's it's like my one hippie thing that I really like to do. And I burn like incense and things like that. I think smells are kind of the one hippie thing I do. Mark, do you have any hippie things? Well, I think that it's a good point what you said there, because even we talked about the broken clocks, right? What, twice a day, right? So we talk about that. So it's like, even, even these people that we think that are terrible, I mean, seriously, it's like even these things are like, oh, I don't like anything about them. It doesn't mean that everything's wrong. If you say, oh, I don't like anything about hipsters. I really don't. They're the worst. But it doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, they might have good coffee shops or good bars. Like, I think it's I think it's a good kind of thing in, in making sure that we're being open minded to these people. That's like, just because I don't agree with a lot of things that you like doesn't mean you don't make good coffee. I love oat milk. I, I know it's more of a it's more of a vegan hippie thing. I, you know, vegans usually are not something that I but oat milk's great. Almond milk's great. I like it better than normal milk. I do. I think it tastes better. It's got more of a flavor. So. I'm really into it. 
So I think it's a good reminder, though, just because we think that somebody's you know crazy or that we don't like the lifestyle they live or it's not a lifestyle that we would want to live doesn't mean they're wrong about everything, right? They have good. You know, they have the same way that AOC is right about corporate welfare. You're allowed to, some people are right, even though you like, you might agree with them on or disagree with them on 99% else. It's, it's good to be open minded. And some of the stuff they like is good. Oat milk's good. Mark, you have taken my comment about coffee and made a huge philosophical observation with it. And I like, I like how you're thinking, but you're right. You can't write off. Mark always writes off because I had like clear acrylic frame glasses and I wear vans and I, I, I kind of do some hipstery things. And Mark wrote a lot of that off, but now he's he's been converted to an oat milk follower. I'm going to try to get his wife diffusing essential oils in the house next, and he's going to be like, "Wow, it smells really good in here." And and then and then we'll see what happens. But have you have you embraced any other hippie things that have surprised you? No, my sister likes a lot of hippie stuff. I mean, I maybe this is maybe not a hippie thing as much now, but like I kind of more I'm in like the peace camp now where like I don't want to go to war where I feel like, you know, when I was 18, 19, I was like, George W. Bush is right and stuff like that. Where now I'm like, I don't really want to go into any wars. And that's maybe more of a hippie thing. I'm going to get you one of those bumper stickers that says make bread, not war. (laughs) I don't want to make bread though. So I'm not going to go that far, but... I want somebody else to make bread for me, but it's a, uh, it is, it is cool to think about that everyone has good qualities, right? Even the worst, not the worst people, but even these people that you just think you have nothing in common with every once in a while you do and oat milk, I guess. And I think it's maybe vegan, you know, 40 year old Franklin moms is who I have more in common with there, but I never would have thought that. So maybe I'll try goat yoga next or something to try to, to fit in. Look at you go. You're going to be a new man by this time next year. Well, before we go, I want to give one quick shout out. Mark got his shout out. I had coffee this morning with one of my mom's best friends, Tara and Tara and Tom listen to our podcast every week. So they're in Birmingham. They listen every week and uh, they love our new intro music at the beginning. And she told me that. So shout out to Tara and Tom. Thanks for being part of our decaf community. Uh, Mark, you got any thoughts before we sign off? No, thank you to Tara and Tom for listening. And if you like listen a lot and reach out to us, we'll like call your name out probably. Cause I mean, we, we do appreciate the consistent listeners and it's something that as we're getting new equipment, we're going to be very famous soon. So like we want you to get in before we get to that level. So, so definitely send us a line. Tell us what you liked or didn't like about our emails or not emails about our podcast. I'm, I'm tired. We're going to be so famous. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> for Taylor and Mark, this has been decaf subscribe on Spotify and Apple podcasts, and we will talk to you next week. Hey,